0: I greet you this morning in the name of our God who is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Those titles remind us that everything in our lives take place within the context of God's grace, mercy, and love. They form the bookends of our life and whatever we face in the past year or the year to come, God is with us. If your house is like mine, perhaps you have received one or two packages from Amazon during December. And if you've ever noticed their logo, there is an arrow that connects the A to the Z. And it's their reminder that they carry everything you could possibly imagine. When we declare God as Alpha and Omega, we are using those Greek words to say God is the A and God is the Z. And every one of us today come here carrying different loads. There are things we are celebrating. There are things we are mourning. There are places where we struggle. There are places where we triumph. The good news that we have celebrated throughout Advent and Christmas and continue to celebrate in the new year is that God is with us. And it seems appropriate to gather as the church in worship on this final Sunday of 2023 as an old year ends and a new year begins. The sermon's timely title is New Year's Resolutions, and our scripture lesson comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 16. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God, amen. Tonight at midnight, a new year will be born. December 31st will pass on to January 1, and 2023 will become 2024. You may recall from high school that the first month of the new year gains its name from the old Roman guardian of gates. Janus had a very unusual feature. He had two faces. One looked backwards, and the other looked forwards. And it's an apt name for the first month of a new year. This is a time, twixt and tween, December 31st, as we lean into January 1st, where we find ourselves looking backwards and looking forwards. We look back to 2023. 2023. And you've seen all those different news recaps that they are doing on TV, online, of all the very major events that occurred. And we shrink that down to our own worlds and think about our triumphs and our failures, our gains and our losses. Cartoonists oftentimes portray the passing year as an old person who is hobbling out because of all the events that have occurred. But this is also a time when we look forward. We anticipate a new year, of fresh opportunities, yes, and of challenges, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. And cartoonists often portray a new year as a baby, filled with potential new and fresh to the world. And we find ourselves today looking backwards, as well as looking forwards. I got a little tickled at uh, Jeff's children's sermon because I am a true baby boomer. I love paper calendars. I still use a Franklin Covey day timer. I write down everything. If you don't write it down, it did not happen. And some of my younger staff find this a little amusing on occasion And we'll be sitting in staff meetings and we'll be talking about a particular date and all my young digital natives are sitting there over their tiny little phones trying to find the date and I'll take my calendar and flip one or two pages and say, here it is. And then I'll say, you should get one of these newfangled paper calendars, they work really well. They love me for that endearing habit. But one of the minor joys of my life is to get a brand new calendar and open it up. You know why I love it so much? There's nothing on it. It is blank, it is pristine, and the new year stretches ahead of me like a yard with freshly fallen snow with no imprint, and there are no appointments, and there are no things to do or places to go or people to see, and there's that moment when everything is possible. And then real life intrudes. And paper and pen get put, or pen and pencil get put to paper, and dates begin, and then appointments and meetings, and by six months into the new year, my calendar is worn out, and so am I. And here's the reality. A new year in many ways is nothing more than a legal illusion. It's a convenience of the calendar. Things don't magically change at midnight tonight, and tomorrow will probably be much the same as today. And yet, regardless of your age, there's something magical about midnight on New Year's Eve because it's a reminder, fresh starts and new beginnings are always on the horizon One author put it this way, he said, the best reason for having calendars and marking time in new years is that the cycle itself offers us hope. We need fresh chances and new beginnings, the conviction that we can start again no matter how many times we have blown it in the past. Some of you are familiar with the name of Louise Fletcher Tarkington. She wrote one poem that's entitled The Land of Beginning Again. I wish there was some wonderful place called the land of beginning again where all of our mistakes and all of our heartaches and all of our poor selfish grief could be dropped like a shabby old coat and never put on again. This morning we come as the people of God to claim that there is such a place and God is constantly waiting to do something new in our lives. Over the next few hours, most of us will probably make some New Year's resolutions. We're at the end of the holidays and here's the reality, most of us indulged in too much of too much. We ate too much food. We watched too much TV. We spent too much money And we get to the end of the year and look towards the next, and we make resolutions that no more. We're going to diet. We're going to exercise. We're going to be thrifty. And companies and businesses recognize this predictable pattern. Watch the ads in the coming days. They are going to be about weight loss plans and about gym memberships and about consumer crediting. And we make these wonderful resolutions on December 31st and they seldom survive past the middle of January. Oh, we have the best of intentions, but resolutions come in one year and then out the other. And by mid-month, the new and improved versions of ourselves look a great deal like the old and not so improved version. Remember those old Ziggy cartoons, A little round-faced character, and in one caption he said, if today is the first day of the rest of my life, I'm in trouble. We can scoff at resolutions, but we as God's people are called to something deeper and more meaningful that truly can transform our lives and change who we are. We serve a God of second chances and of new beginnings. Our scripture lesson today speaks to this reality that today can be different than yesterday and that tomorrow can be different than today. God truly can do something new in our lives. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Now what we discover as we mature and grow as Christians is that sort of transformation of being made new creatures is both moment and process. There may be dramatic moments of change, but there are also steady, gradual, incremental moments of growth. And that our journey may have milestones along the way, but most of the journey occurs between the milestones. Jesus began his ministry by saying the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. And we've talked about that word repentance before. That it means to turn away from sin and to turn toward holiness. If you wanna talk Wesleyan theology, we're talking about sanctification of this process of being made perfect in love in Jesus Christ. And there are dramatic moments of change, but then there's that daily discipline of growing as Christians and following Jesus Christ. And part of what I want to invite us to do today is ask the question, not about resolutions, but about repentance. What does God want to do new in our lives? What is there old that we need to let go? And what do we need to ask God to bestow to give us something new as we enter into a new year? Next week, we're gonna begin our January worship series. We're talking about four life-changing decisions. And we're talking about four separate activities that are not opposites, but they're at least held in tension. We're gonna talk about what does it mean to start some new discipline? What does it mean to stop some old sinful habit? What does it mean to stay, to be true to our commitments? And what does it mean to go into the new places where God is calling us. and In some ways today's sermon is an introduction to that series as we understand how God calls us to repentance and calls us to change. Let me begin with a question. What is it you want God to do in your life? What new thing do you want the Lord to do in 2024 for you? And my guess is, if not at this moment, if you spend a little bit of time this coming week in prayer and meditate upon that and ask the Holy Spirit, what do I need in my life? Something's gonna come to mind. For some of you, something just did. And I strongly suggest to you that's the Holy Spirit working in your life, calling up something, something I need to let go, and something I need to allow God to do. I suggest that you write that down. Write it down, a strong sentence on the top of a page, and then maybe write a paragraph of what that would look like in your life, visualize it, see it. What does repentance in concrete form look like for you individually? And then to visualize how God could do something new in your life. Business people have probably heard Stephen Covey's um, rules over and over again, but one of the fundamental ones is this, begin with the end in mind. What do you want God to do new for you? And then use your divine imaginations to begin to visualize that. Because repentance is a partnership between ourselves and the Holy Spirit. We don't have the power on our own to be transformed and changed, but we have to lend ourselves to the Holy Spirit's power and to be willing in human terms, to turn from sin and turn towards holiness and then claim the power that is ours in God to do so. Have that vision, have God's vision of something new in your life. And then ask the question, how do I get from here to there? I'm big on planning. Plan your life, live your plan. If you're a scuba diver, plan your dive, dive your plan. You figure out where you're going and then you determine how you're going to get there. And one of the secrets of life that we try to teach our children and our grandchildren is if you wanna get from here to there, you don't plan from here to there. You visualize where there is and then you plan backwards. That may not make sense the way I just said it, but you intuitively understand what I mean. If you prepared a holiday meal and you wanted it on the table at five o'clock ready for everybody to eat, That was the vision. Then you begin to plan backwards. I've got to put this in the stove by this point. I've got to put this out the thaw by this point. I've got to go to the grocery store by this point. And you plan backwards so that you can move forwards. If you have a vision, or more importantly, God has a vision of what needs to be next in your life, how do you move from here to there? Where do I need to go Next. And then what you do is you create objectives. Objectives are concrete, measurable, time-sensitive ways that we measure our progress moving from here to there. And take one step at a time. If you are like I am, when God wants to do something new in my life, it can be overwhelming. It's true of any project you face in life as well. And if you consider the overall thing, then you feel ill-equipped to be able to move forward. So you break it down into concrete, measurable objectives that can be achieved. There's an old management uh, saying, it's trite, but it's also true, by the yard it's hard, by the inch it's a cinch. Break it up into measurable things that you can do, and then do it. Every day, by spiritual discipline, move towards that objective and goal that God has for your life. And as you are moving along the way, let me promise you something that's gonna happen. You're gonna falter and you're gonna fall. Whether it is a diet, whether it is an exercise plan, whether it is thriftiness, whether it is a spiritual discipline, whether it is repentance in your life of letting go of sin and claiming holiness, you are gonna stumble and you are going to fall. It was a while back, my wife and I were in downtown Atlanta and it was getting close to lunchtime And you know how you see in the news about these self-driving cars? My car, without any conscious volition on my part, drove to the Varsity. Just happened. Now, let me make my personal confession here. I had uh, my health exam and blood work a while back, and I failed my cholesterol test. I should have studied harder, I know, but I didn't. And the number was a little north of 200, which apparently is not a good thing. And I've been trying to eat better, you know, eat more things that taste like cardboard. It's just hard, but we were at the Varsity. And so we walked in, if you're gonna be at the Varsity, you've gotta eat one of their world famous hot dogs. And if you're gonna get a hot dog, you might as well get a chili dog. And if you're gonna get a chili dog, you might as well get a chili slaw dog. And the varsity doesn't sell those in ones, they sell them in twos. And they come in a combo meal. So two chili slaw dogs with onion rings, washed down with a Coke and a frosted orange. Now never let it be said I'm not a man of discipline. I did not have the fried peach pie with ice cream on top. But afterwards, you've ever eaten at the Varsity, you know how you feel afterwards. You can just feel your blood coagulating inside your veins and your arteries. And I thought to myself, oh, what have I done? And if you take my cholesterol right then, I probably could have burst 300 without trying. Now that's a trite example, but translate that to anything you struggle with in life. Sooner or later, we're going to fall and mess up. I become more and more convinced in life it's what happens after that that is the key to growing in Christ. We can beat ourselves up. We can talk about how unworthy we are or we can confess our sin allow God to pick us back up, dust us off, and start along the path again. I've done some limited work with people who are struggling with addiction. That is one of the keys of moving forward with addiction. One day at a time, recognizing there is always the potential and the possibility of messing up. And if you do, rather than to spiral down in that self-destructive pattern, instead to stop and allow God to forgive you and to forgive yourself and then to move forward. Jesus Christ began his ministry by saying, the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news Paul later said that in Christ we are new creations where the old has passed away and the new has come. It is an ongoing process in our lives. And if there is something miraculous about New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, it's yet another divine reminder that fresh starts and new beginnings are always possible. And God wants to do something new in your life and wants to do something new in my life as well. In 1755, John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist movement, gathered a group together in worship on New Year's. And part of what they did was renew their covenant with God. And there's a prayer in our hymnal which is called uh, the covenant prayer, at least in the Wesleyan tradition. We're not absolutely certain these are the words that John Wesley penned, but they are at least carry the spirit of what that service was about. And in a few moments, uh, we're going to join our voices in that prayer together. Uh, as Jeff was talking with the children about the prayer, and he, he translated it a little bit in a more contemporary language, the first line is this, I am no longer my own but thine. And as he was sharing that with the children, I thought to myself, I'm not sure the boys and girls really understand what that means. And then it struck me, I don't truly understand what that means. Because what that prayer does is place our lives in God's hands. And we don't know where that future lies. We don't know where God leads us next. We don't know what God wants us to let go and to pick up. But we know the God we follow and the God we serve. And so all of us as children of God are invited to recite this prayer together. It is printed in your hymnal on page 607, but it is also in your bulletin. So I'd invite you to go to one or the other, and in a moment we're gonna recite these words together. Join your voices with me. I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee, or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee, or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven, amen.